You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. All right, it is good to see you all back tonight. I have been looking forward to this. I've been studying for this for the past two weeks, praying about it for much longer than that, the book of Psalms. But before we get to there, uh, we always do a little bit of a review on the book before. So the book before is Job. Can somebody name me one of the friends of Job? One of the three friends of Job. So one of them kind of comes in later. We'll keep him off to the side for now. Who can name me one of the friends of Job? Mrs. Dane. Bildad. Yes, absolutely. Bildad is one of them. Yes, sir. Brother Keith. Zophar is one of them. So we have Bildad and we have Zophar. Who's, who's the one who usually takes the lead in talking? Miss Lena, I saw your hand. Eliphaz. You have Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, is it, I can't remember Bildad's one. The Shuhite? It's close. That's it? That's it? And then Zophar, the Temanite, I think it is? Eliphaz, the Temanite. I don't know. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Now, the, the question of the book, question of the book of Job is, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? Nobody really knows uh, at the beginning, and that's why Job is saying, Lord, kill me. I, I, I have nothing left to, to live for. Uh, I've seen all of my children die. The thing that I feared most has come upon me. Why has this happened? What is the friend's main argument of why bad things happen? Sin. Bad things happen because we do bad things. And Elevaz comes and says, Job, you must have you done something. You just need to get right and move forward. What does Job say? Done, I've done nothing. Now he, and he understands how that sounds. And he comes and says, I, I am a sinner, obviously. All men are sinners. But I don't, I don't remember doing anything that would merit this. I just don't understand it. At one point he said, the Lord chastiseth me without a cause. Um, so he, he basically says, you know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we not receive good at the hand of the Lord? And, uh, or shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? Which he told to his wife. He understands that God can do what he wants. God is God. But he just under, doesn't understand why. Lord, if I've done something wrong, for, forgive me about it. But, I mean, my life doesn't seem to be changing. Why is this happening? Why won't you forgive me? So then Bildad comes. Are you questioning the Lord? I'm not questioning the Lord. I'm just trying to understand what's going on. And what, what do they keep doing back and forth? What do they keep naming off? They keep naming these lists of things. Do you remember what it is? What is it? Yeah, characteristics of God and attributes of God, all the things that he does, all the things that he is. And Job says, I know who God is. He's this and this and this, and he does this and this and this. And then the friends say, we're old enough to be your father. Do you think you can tell us something that we don't know? God does this and this and this. And then Job says, I know just as much as you, and God does this and this and this. And then God comes along, and he reminds people, he reminds Job especially, you don't know a thing. You don't know a thing about who I am. What are, God has two issues that he's bringing up with Job. Do you remember what those are? These, are? these are hard questions. Do you remember, Ms. Tracy? Yes, he says, you have darkened counsel without knowledge. 
And he asks, he says, who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? You're, you're speaking without knowing what you're talking about. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I told the oceans no more after this point? Do you know that there are storehouses of hail? Did you know that there, you know, who, who told the ostrich not to be afraid when it lays its egg right in the middle of, of the field? I did. You didn't do all of that. So Job has to come to realize, okay, I do know a little bit about God, but I, I mean, I'm nowhere close the, he, to, to understand exactly what's going on. God says, are you the one who orders the sun to rise every single morning? He said, I do that. I tell the sun when to go. And that's why I love it. In, in, when Joshua said, sun, stop. God said, okay, yeah, stop. And then Hezekiah, when he said, I want you to go back 10 degrees, God can do that because the son listens to him. What's the second one? Do you remember? So one was you have darkened counsel without knowledge. Another one is that he disannulled something. He said, you have disannulled my, honey, my judgment, Miss Leanne. Yes, very good. You've disannulled my judgment. Who are you to say that you know or that you can question what I do and why I do it? He starts naming these different animals. And two of them, the, the big ones, do you remember what those were? One of them is behemoth, and one of them is leviathan. And really, I think the key verse is, is Job 41.10, where he says, there is none, there is none so, let's, let's look there. I don't want to misquote. It's right here. None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Job, you don't even understand my creation. And you're trying to understand me? said, you wouldn't go up to Leviathan. Some people think it's, it's a creature that's gone extinct. It's certainly not a mythical creature. Some people think it's possibly it's an alligator. Let's just say it's an alligator or a crocodile. Would any of you go up to a crocodile and just kick him while he's asleep? Hey. <laughs> once. You could be able to do it once. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have a good story. Nobody would do that. He says, you're, you wouldn't go up to one of my creatures and say, hey, I'm not happy with you, and you're doing it to me? And what does Job have to say? I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I've opened my mouth once. I will not open it again. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. I, I abhor myself. Have you ever done something so terrible and the Lord convicts you and you just look in the mirror and say, you, you, sir. <laughs> I don't like you. Why would you do that? And then he gets, Job gets right with God. Job gets right with his friends. And he brings blessing, uh, double the blessing. Uh, what an incredible God that we have. What an incredible God. So let's move into the book of Psalms. Now, I asked this this morning, but I would like to ask it again. How many of you, your favorite book is the book of Psalms? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. Now, how many of you would say it's not my favorite book, but it's definitely in my top five? Definitely in the top five. I would assume so. Now, uh, what is your favorite psalm? Would anybody share what your favorite psalm is? If you know it right offhand. Miss Edie? Psalm 23. How many of you would agree with that, that Psalm 23 is your favorite psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yes? Anybody else? What's your favorite psalm? Yes, sir? Psalm 91. Psalm 91. That's right after the one that Moses wrote. That's yours. Is that, I, um, is that yours? I will lift mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help? That's, no, that's, that's, that's in the hundreds, isn't it? Anyways. Oh, I will need to look that one up. Yes, ma'am. Miss Abby, correct? Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Very good. Who else? Who else? Miss Jillian. 
Psalm 8, uh, when I consider thy heavens and the works of thine hands. Yes, very good. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Very good. Miss Tracy? Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God. Yes, any, one, one more. Yes. Psalm 37. Uh, I don't know that one. I don't know that one. I'll have to look that up. One more. Miss Alana. Psalm 77. So do you notice a lot of people have different psalms that are their favorite? Uh, mine changes. Psalm 23, Psalm 103, Psalm 57 right now is currently my favorite. Uh, but I think it's safe to say that the book of Psalms has captured more hearts than any other book in the Bible. And I believe that there is one major reason for that. There's one major reason why the book of Psalms is so beloved. No, not because the chapters are short. No, yeah, I got, we, let's be honest, okay? No, it's not because of that. It's not because we see ourselves in the Psalms, although certainly we do. It's not that we've been helped through hard times by the Psalms, although certainly we have been. But many of us have been helped through Job. Uh, many of us have been helped through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of us have been helped with Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy. Uh, so I believe that the one major reason why the Psalms are so beloved, the major reason why Psalms is the largest book in the Bible, the one major reason why it's right in the middle of our Bible, the one major reason is wrapped, it's found in the purpose of the whole book. And that's the purpose of this series right now. What is in the book of Psalms and why is it written? Now, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So we cannot say that one part of the Bible is better than another part of the Bible. We can't say that one part of the Bible is uh, more important than another part of the Bible. Nevertheless, God has designed each book in the Bible to fulfill a certain purpose that other books cannot fulfill. So what is the purpose of Psalms? Oh, and by the way, that's why God says, Leave the Bible alone. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't try to rewrite it. It's just how I want it. Leave it alone. Who is man to say that we are going to do it better? The Bible is imperfect. We're going to help make it perfect. I do not believe in a God powerful enough to inspire his word, but not powerful enough to preserve his word. I believe that God has preserved his word in the King James Version of the Bible for the English-speaking people. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. So what is the purpose of Psalms? The purpose of Psalms is very simple. I think you all know it. It's to teach us what praise and worship looks like. What does it look like to praise God, to worship God, to have communion and fellowship with God. If we took the book of Psalms out of the Bible, we would lose the, the picture of worship and praise that no other book in the Bible paints so beautifully. And think about how much today we need to learn what it looks like to praise the Lord and to worship the Lord. In hard times, it's easy to praise and to worship him and to commune with him in the easy times. But what about when we're down? What about when we're going through a valley? That's where Psalms comes in. Now, in order to see the main purpose of the book, let's take the time. Let's take the time to look at the book of Psalms as a whole. Now, the book of Psalms is a unique book of the Bible. For instance, with other books, we can pretty much guess a year or a decade where it was written, somewhere, somewhere around there. But Psalms was written over a period of almost 1,000 years. 
So it was written spanning from 1400 BC, which is near the time that Exodus was written, and it spans all the way to 450 BC, which is near when Ezra is written. And the span of almost a millennium here in this book, uh, it's because it's a compilation. It's a compilation of psalms and songs and prayers from multiple authors written at various times in Israel's history. A hundred of the 150 psalms are attributed to a human author. Moses is one of those authors. Uh, he wrote Psalm chapter 90. The sons of Korah wrote 11. Asaph wrote 12. Ethan, the Ezraite, wrote Psalm 89. And then, of course, David wrote 75. So half of the psalms are attributed to David, and it's more than likely that he wrote more than that, but he kept anonymous. So 50 of the psalms are anonymous. The book of Psalms is a compilation of all of these different psalms from all of these different authors into one book. Or should I say five books? Okay, don't let me confuse you. Hang on. Here is a reason why many people enjoy the book of Psalms. Now, uh, we're, gonna, we're already into the lesson. I know before I usually give a little, a little intro and then we give the outline and then we move forward. We're already into it, whether you knew it or not. Okay, so here's one of the reasons why the book of Psalms is so beloved. It's simple. It's a very simple book. In fact, when you first get saved and you first start reading your Bible, for many people, the book of Psalms is the book that you first start understanding. Like, oh, I know that. I see what that means. I can wrap my mind around that chapter. So a lot of people like it. So let's not make the man's usual mistake of overcomplicating something that God intended to be simple. For most people, really the only difficult part of Psalms is the fact that it is a book of poetry. And we have a hard time understanding poetry. And yes, the book of Psalms is a book of poetry. So ladies like poetry better than men. That's just a part of it. Uh, but men can appreciate poetry as well. Now, when you think of poetry, what do you think of? You're thinking of rhyming and meter and romance and flowery, flowery language like betwixt and behoove and some whither, you know, things that we don't use anymore. And there's certainly a measure of that to the Psalms. Uh, there's metaphor in the Psalms, but that's, that's easy to understand. So when an author says light and darkness, which one's talking about evil and which one's talking about good? Well, light would be good and darkness would be evil. That one's easy. Um, a lot of times, so for instance, in Psalm uh, 69, David is describing being surrounded by sin and Satan and the temptations of this world, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I look around me and there's sin everywhere and Satan is everywhere and the temptations of the world are all about me. He compares it to drowning. And he compares it to sinking in the mire, how he's kicking and trying to get loose and he, he keeps on going down deeper and deeper. Uh, so that's some poetry. So Hebrew poetry is very different, though, than English poetry. English poetry kind of focuses on repetition of sound, you know, rhyming and, and all of that. Hebrew poetry is based in the repetition of ideas. It will repeat an idea in a similar way. That's, that's Hebrew poetry. For instance, Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. 
He's saying the same thing, but just in a similar way. The next verse, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. He's saying the same thing, but in different ways, in similar ways. That's Hebrew poetry. Another way of Hebrew poetry is saying the same idea in opposite ways. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He's saying the same thing. God knows everything. He knows the way of the righteous. He also knows the way of the wicked, and he will make sure that they perish. So you can state the same idea in a similar way, one in an opposite way, one in a developing way, where it begins with a really simple statement, and then it, it expounds upon it. The simple statement, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now let's expound upon that. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. So it's simple. Even the most complicated part about Psalms is simple if we just read through it. So don't, don't allow poetry to scare you away from your Bible. It's 30% of your Bible. Learn how to read it. Learn how to study it. Uh, and make sure that we are not um, skipping past it. So when I say that the book of Psalms is one book made up of 150 individual psalms and yet divided into five separate books, I'm not trying to make it complicated. Seeing these divisions is going to help us grasp the main purpose of the book. How many of you looking at your Bible right now, if you're looking at Psalm chapter 1, would you look at Psalm chapter 1? How many of you see before Psalm 1 the words book 1? Miss Maria, you see that? Brother Hibbets? Okay. Look at Psalm chapter 42. What does it say? Book 2. How many of you do not have that? I want to show you a Bible that has it here. So I'll look in Psalm 42. Can you all see this? I just said y'all. Can you guys? Can you guys see up here? Book two, right? Okay. Uh, how many of you have never noticed that? It's in your Bible and you've never noticed. Okay, well, that's all right. All right, so let's go ahead where those divisions are. So book one is Psalm 1 through 41. Book two is 42 to 72. Book three is 73 to 89. Book four is Psalm 90 to 106. And book five is 107 through 150. So this should tell us something. Really the closest thing today that we have to the book of Psalms is our hymn book. And a lot of times those are just kind of put in there and, and, and they have numbers. The, the book of Psalms is not randomly compiled. Uh, it, there is a certain order to it. In fact, many people see a direct correlation between the five books of Psalms and the five books of the law. With book one, Psalm 1 through 41, its main focus is on man and God's counsel to him, which would be similar to Genesis. Book two is Psalm 42 through 72. That main focus is on Israel and deliverance, and that has a main correlation to Exodus. Third is all, a lot of it focusing on the sanctuary. Well, that's Leviticus the tabernacle, the temple. Psalm 90 begins with a book or a chapter written by Moses in chapter 90 and then ends in chapter 106 
telling about Israel's rebellion in the wilderness. What book does that sound like? Numbers. And then the last one, all about the word of God. Think of where Psalm 119 is, the largest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about God's word. And where is that? That's in book number five, which would correlate to Deuteronomy. It's, it's possible, and it's worth a study. It's very interesting. Now, moving on here, of course, psalms were meant to be read privately. They could also be prayed. Uh, they could be shouted. But mostly, what were psalms meant to do? What were we meant to do with psalms? We were meant to sing the psalms. And the word psalm means a sacred song or a hymn. 1 Chronicles 16.9 says, sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him, Ephesians 5.19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody into your heart to the Lord. James 5.13 is any merry, let him sing psalms. Now, the musical aspect of this book can help us to explain some special words that maybe you have some questions about. So look at Psalm 4, for instance. Look at Psalm 4 in the, um, the title, the inscription before Psalm 4. To the chief musician on Neganoth. Neganoth. A Psalm of David. Neganoth means play this with stringed instruments. How about Psalm 5? Upon Neheloth. That means play this one upon wind instruments. Psalm 6, upon Sheminith. Sheminith is talking about the eighth. We don't know exactly what this means, but any of you who are musical, what, what does the number eight have that is special for music? The octave has something to do with a musical octave. How about Psalms 7? Shigion. That means a hymn of praise. How about Psalm 916? Look at Psalm 916. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higion, Selah. Higion means meditation. Selah, a lot of people believe it means pause. There are some people who believe that's what David said when he broke a harp string, but that's probably not the case. Sila usually, it probably means a musical pause. Think about what was just said. Now, if you notice, most of those special words are in the title. They're in the inscription of the psalm. And these inscriptions of the psalms are very important. They can actually help us understand the psalm itself. Of the 150 psalms, only 34 of them have no inscription. The vast majority have an inscription. Uh, 39 of them have a title with a special word in it, like um, Higion or Shigion or Neheloth, Neganoth. Um, many of them have very simple titles, like a Psalm of Asaph or a Psalm of Solomon. Uh, 15 of them are titled A Song of Degrees. They are all grouped together from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. A few of them have a title that describe their purpose, which is very interesting. So Psalm 38, the title says, to bring remembrance. Uh, Psalm 92 says, a psalm or song for the Sabbath day. Look at Psalm 102. I think you'll enjoy this one. Look at this inscription. A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. I can use Psalm 102. A lot of times. Uh, 14 of them have a title that gives the historical viewpoint. Uh, pretty much the exact time when it was written. So you have Psalm 3. 
That says a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. You have Psalm 30 that says a psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. You have Psalm 57. It says uh, when David fled from Saul in the cave. So just in those historical inscriptions of the psalms, we get just a little glimpse into the beauty of psalms. The book of Psalms, and this is important to understand, to, to get the whole purpose. The book of Psalms draws a picture of the human heart in every conceivable condition. It's a diamond with thousands of facets. It's a pool that a child can wade in and enjoy, and it's an ocean that would take lifetimes to understand. One preacher said about this, it's a river of comfort. Even after you realize that the river is filled with tears, it never fails to bring peace to the soul. It's a garden of flowers that never loses its fragrance. Though watch out, some of the roses have sharp thorns of conviction. Another man says, it vividly portrays the thoughts, emotions, and aspirations of the people of God in every kind of circumstance. And it does this by talking about different topics. The book of Psalms speaks about topics like war. Psalm 25, let not mine enemies triumph over me. It talks about topics like victory. Psalm 56, when I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. It talks about defeat. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. It talks about death. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalm 116. It talks about love. It talks about love toward God in Psalm 31. O love the Lord, all ye his saints. It talks about love from God. Psalm 146, the Lord loveth the righteous talks about love between fellow men and how so many times we are, we are let down by it. Psalm 109 says, They have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. talks about the topic of weather. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. talks about God's word. Read Psalm 119. talks about the topic of sin and righteousness, creation, betrayal, family, holiness, patience, temperance, forgiveness, prayer. And along with this wide array of topics, the book of Psalms employs a wide range of emotions to approach each one of these topics. Just take the topic of prayer, for instance. Prayer can be approached with sorrow. Psalm 39.12 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. Prayer can be approached with fear. Psalm 54, 2 and 3 says, Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. Prayer can be approached with joy. Psalm 66, 18 through 20, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, but verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God. It can be approached with worry. Psalm 80, verse 4, O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against thy people? Prayer can be approached with imprecation. Psalm 109.4 says, For my love they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. And then a little later he says, Let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his, some of us have prayed that about presidents, but moving on. Let his children be fatherless, let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. That is, his, that is a prayer of imprecation. There are at least seven psalms that are completely filled with prayers of imprecation or imprecatory prayers. 
Imprecation means a spoken curse. A lot of people are, um, they, they see those prayers of imprecation and they are taken aback by the language. Uh, but you have to understand that the indignation expressed in it is concerning violation of God's laws. It's not a personal grievance against another person that they're praying for. Uh, many times the prayers for God to punish the wicked uh, were so that the innocent could be saved. And another thing to remember is psalmists, the psalmists are right to bring their feelings forward to the Lord rather than acting on their own and, and seeking vengeance of their own selves. So just in that one topic, just in that one topic of prayer, you can see the multiple emotions that come along with it. And when looking at the book of Psalms, you would be hard-pressed to find an emotion that is not talked about or that is not referred to. The book of Psalms is a tranquil ocean, a preacher says, that reflects every mood of a man's changing sky. It talks about envy. In Psalm 73, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It talks about admiration. Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. It talks about peace, the emotion of peace. Psalm 4, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. It talks about disgust. Psalm 139, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? It talks about the emotion of fear in Psalm 56, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. It talks about the emotion of nostalgia. Psalm 63, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate upon thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. It talks about sorrow. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. It talks about confusion in Psalm 42. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. God's still alive. Why? Why are you going through this? Why do you feel this way? Talks about regret in Psalm 51. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Talks about excitement in Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. It talks about satisfaction. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And yet it talks about craving, Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Many times you find a swing of emotion in the same psalm. Where it starts with faith and then goes to fear, and then it ends with faith. Have you ever done that? Where you wake up in the morning and you're praying, and you say, Lord, I know it, I know it's, I know it's in your hand, I know everything's going to be fine, but is it? Yes, yes, I know it will be well. Sometimes it begins with doubt, and then it ends with trust. Sometimes it begins with sorrow, and then it ends with joy. And what is the Psalms teaching us? You know, communion with God is the best way to turn fear into faith. It's the best way to turn distress into delight, to turn sorrow into joy, sighing into singing. So stay with me here. We're coming down to the end. Different authors, different circumstances, different times, different personalities, different locations, different topics, different emotions, but all of them come together for one main purpose. And it's in the last chapter of each of the five books that's going to teach us what that purpose is. You can look these up later if you like, but I'll just go ahead and read them to you. In Psalm 41, 13, the end of book one, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. The end of book two, Psalm 72, 18 and 19. 
Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Book three, Psalm 89, 52. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Psalm 106, 48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, amen, praise ye the Lord. We read Psalm 150. We read Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord. If you look at Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, 150. It begins and ends with the same phrase. Praise ye the Lord. Psalms is very unique. In all the other books of the Bible, one chapter usually leads to the next. But in Psalms, each chapter stands alone. But like individual strokes from a brush, they all come together to paint the picture of what praising and worshiping and having communion and fellowship with God really looks like. And what is it saying to us, using all these differences to come together for one purpose? It's saying no matter who we are, or where we've come from, or what we're going through, or what we're going to face tomorrow, whether we're happy or sad, whether we're courageous or fearful, whether we're trusting or doubting, convinced or confused, young or old, rich or poor, healthy or sick, living or dying, whether we're experiencing peace or war, blessing or cursing, love or hate, calm or chaos, fellowship or solitude, we can praise, we can worship, and we can have communion with the Lord God of heaven. That's what Psalm teaches us. Man can approach God finite, can have communion with infinite. And therein lies the major reason why Psalms resonates with the hearts of every single human being. Because deep within the heart of every man lies the God-given desire to praise and worship and have communion and fellowship with him. Every single human heart desires that. We were made to fellowship with God. We were made to be close to him. But then in every human heart since the beginning, what has come in? Sin has come in and made that fellowship impossible. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, What communion hath light with darkness? So this is where Psalm comes in. And if you're taking notes, here are all your notes right here. Psalms teaches us four things. First of all, it reminds us of who we are. And who are we? We are frail, we're wicked, we're foolish, we're mortal, we're sinful human beings. Prone to fear rather than faith. Prone to doubt rather than trust. Prone to hate rather than love. Prone to run rather than cling to the Lord. But then it reminds us of who he is. And who is he? He's the omnipotent, the holy, the omniscient, the eternal, righteous, omnipresent God. And in spite of who we are and who he is, 
we are invited to commune with him? We are invited to fellowship with him? What disparity and yet unity? What separation and yet communion? Look at who we are. Look at who he is. And yet he invites us. We are invited into the court of God to praise him. And he doesn't just invite us to commune with him. He wants it. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy hands, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? Now here's a question. What could ever bridge a gap so wide? What could ever reconcile? Who could ever reconcile sinful man and a holy God? Oh, church, only Jesus. Only Jesus. And all throughout the Psalms, glimpses of Jesus can be found. Sometimes they only show the hem of his garment or we see his shadow. Sometimes we don't see him, but we can sense him. Sometimes he is so clear His presence is so bright. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after he rose again, Luke 24 says that he showed them all that was written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning him. Psalms is so beloved because it reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of who God is. Number three, it reminds us that we were made to praise and worship and have fellowship with God. And we were meant to praise him and worship him for who he is. We, wor- worship is worthship, Ascribing worth to the Lord. It's, it's all right. Let's just pay attention. It's okay. It's okay. He's a child and child, children cry. It's all right. It's all right. Let's focus in here. This is the most important part. It reminds us that we were made to praise and worship God for who he is. And lastly... It reminds us that our precious Savior, Jesus, is the only reason that sinners such as us are able to do what we were made to do. Through him, we have access through the veil to the Holy of Holies. And where once was great separation Now I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Psalm 2 begins with a very important message. Because we have a choice. Are we going to praise him? Are we going to do what we are made to do? Well, then you got to trust him. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Psalm 2 verse 12 says, Kiss the Son, lest God be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The next time somebody asks you, what is the book of Psalms all about? Say, Psalms tells me that no matter what has happened, or no matter what is, or no matter what will be, praise ye the Lord. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.